Good morning, Carrick Vineyard. I, uh, we're very lucky we're here this morning. I had this idea that it might be a good idea to put Causeway Coast Vineyard into the phone. Uh, firstly, thank you very much to Chantel um, and the rest of the team, Ian, Steve, Elaine, Matt, you've all made, made us very welcome. It's great to have the opportunity to speak here um, and, and looking down the back and seeing you've obviously been hard at work. Thank you very much for the don don donations. Um, first of all, maybe I'll introduce myself, introduce, this man can introduce himself um, and then we'll go from there. My name is Nigel Graham. I'm probably the start of what was, or what is, VCD, Dungannon to Dunkirk. Hopefully this morning we'll give you a wee bit of a feel of the, the journey that that has been and why we still intend to go back to France and, and probably will St. Patrick's weekend. Um, over to you for a second, sir. You want me to introduce myself to you? Ah, well, uh, your name, yeah. I do, I, I'm Brian. Um, and I'm also in Dungan uh, Vineyard. Um, met this guy uh, a few years ago, and my life hasn't been the same since. <laughs> so I'll hand back to him. <laughs> we'll keep this going all day. <laughs> okay, so probably I'll give you a wee bit of my story, um, a wee bit of background. Just it might it might um, make more sense of of the, the decisions I have made and the and the journey that I'm on. First of all, um, I would say to you, the whole refugee thing absolutely breaks my heart. So if I stop in the middle of it or if I get emotional, I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable, but the only upside is I'll be twice as uncomfortable as you are. Um, so how did it all start? Dungannon to Dunkirk, if I could speak, and, and where did I fit into that and all the rest? My background is uh, very firmly Church of Ireland. Um, was brought up in the Church of Ireland and went to the Church of Ireland for 40 plus years. Um, met my lovely wife um, and we are what was called or what is called a mixed marriage. Paul is from the Catholic faith. Um, so the Church of Ireland, we brought our kids up in the Church of Ireland but it never really was a home for us all, if you like. Paul was a GFS leader. Um, and the kids went to Sunday school and all the rest. But, you know, we were always sort of, there was always that thing that it was never really, never really a complete fit. So, you've, you've heard the expression, um, uh, their youngster went wrong, you know, their, their youngster started doing drugs or their youngster whatever, made bad decisions, made bad choices and went wrong. We were very lucky, our oldest lad went right. Um, when he was about 14, 15 years of age, he fell in with other kids and took the decision himself that he wanted to become Christian or wanted to be Christian and he started going to Vineyard in Dungannon. So he went to Vineyard in Dungannon for a year, 18 months or whatever and Paula was saying to me, look, you know, we need to find out a wee bit more about this place. And I'm going, I'm a Protestant, I go to the Church of Ireland, I don't need no vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> so Paula, as, as lady folk do, she wasn't going to be put off by her stubborn husband and she decided she'd take herself one Sunday morning anyway and she went one Sunday morning and came back and said, look, you know, you really need to go to this. It's really worth seeing. So the kids were, the Sunday school was over for the summer or whatever and uh, I went to the vineyard in Dungannon and we're going there since. <laughs> um, 
as part of that, we went to life group. I uh, didn't know very many people in the church. I didn't, wouldn't have considered myself a Christian. Christians were people that stood on the, on the street corner on a Saturday morning and shouted about Christianity, and you, you stayed on the other side of the street. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't have considered myself a Christian. Um, went to a life group in this man's drafty farm shed, and I'm a Christian since. <laughs> and that's probably about three years ago. Um, so, to get back to the subject... First of all, um, Chantel has assured me that nobody in Carrick Fergus Vineyard ever asks a question during a Sunday service or ever puts their hand up or disturbs, whoever, disturbs whoever's speaking or whatever. So if you want to break with tradition, please go ahead. Feel, feel free to shout, do whatever you want to do. Yeah, okay, a wee bit of um, sort of where we are with, with se- after several trips to, to, uh, to France. Say I get emotional, I don't think I'll even, well, maybe I will chance to look at the next picture. This is where it all started for me. Don't know if anybody remembers that picture. That is September 2015. Um, That young lad was washed up on the beach in Turkey. Uh, He was part of his his family. His mum and dad and two brothers, um, only his dad survived the journey. They were put onto a boat in Turkey, paid the smugglers, put onto a boat, and the boat, the smuggler gave his dad the, the tiller of the airport motor, pointed him in the direction of Greece and said, away you go. Didn't get very far out to sea when the boat collapsed, and, or the boat capsized, and you know the rest. So that was the beginning of September. Um, that was kicking about in my mind, and wasn't sitting very well with me, and I thought to myself, you know, we really need to be thinking about doing something for these people. Um, knew I couldn't you know, with work commitments and everything else, I couldn't go to Turkey or I couldn't go to Greece. It wasn't happening. But we have, uh, we're lucky enough to have a motorhome, which, with which we've traveled backwards and forwards to Europe quite a bit. So, you know, we know the Cali, we knew the Cali area well, we know the route well and all the rest of it. So I thought to myself, this mad notion, why not fill the motorhome with aid and and take it to France? Um, I remember one Friday morning, um, I was doing a bit of work in the garage and this sort of thought came to my mind and I thought I'll text Brian, Brian's a good sensible man, good sensible head on him, you know, text Brian, see what he says. So I texted Brian and asked him about, you know, thinking about filling the motorhome to the camper with aid and taking it to France, what do you reckon? And Brian sent me a text back and I can't remember all the text but part of it was he said I can see God in it. And I remember getting the text back and looking at it and saying, you know, see God in it? Straight yes or no would be dead on, Brian, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, anyway, cut a long story short, we, we were in church, and the pastor announced it in church, and I'm going, Brian, before this goes too far, we have no money, and the ferries cost 700 quid, you know. So how's that going to happen? And at the end of the service, a lady came over to me, and she said, look, I have a wee pot of money set, set aside um, in my business, bit of petty cash built up or whatever and can't think of a better reason or can't think of a better cause than to give it to you and I said right that's great she said it's 700 pound so um, conscious, I'm conscious of the time I know we all have slow cookers now but they're not that slow um, so we, we, we set off for France anyway four of us set off for France first time myself Brian one of Brian's sons and a, friend, a fellow friend with at first um, and packed as much as we could into the camp, we're headed to France with the intention that we were going to drop off this aid, um, 
do a wee bit if we could for a day or two and then come back. Great job, job done. Unfortunately, when we got there, um, I don't know, Ian, if, uh, sorry, um, I've got a wee bit out of sync with Ian. We'll probably talk about Brian's Land Rover later on, okay? If you can go to the jungle, Ian. Apologies. So, obviously, when, uh, when we got there, um, I had you read all this stuff on Facebook um, and other sites. You know, as far as I was concerned, when we were leaving France, we were going to get the camper burned, we were going to get our passports taken off us, and we were going to be mugged. But anyway, we'd go anyway and see what happened. It turned out to be, um, to say um, we got our perceptions changed, it's uh, what doesn't even come close. Um, spent the first day out there working in what was Cali Build, which was basically it, the Cali jungle at that time was had gone from about 500 people in the spring to about 2,000 people by the time we got there in, in October time. They were all living in what I would call festival tents. You know the kind of thing you buy in Tesco's for 20 quid in the middle of the summer? So these guys all trying to live in these. Um, it was probably five degrees in the middle of the day, horizontal rain. There's absolutely no shelter because it's right on the seafront in Cali. Uh, so the con conditions were absolutely dire. And at that stage, they were f the volunteer groups there were flat out trying to build uh, basically garden sheds, but instead of being sheeted with timber, they're sheeted with plastic to make them quicker to build. Um, so we first day there, we were in Cali Build, trying to build shelters, and then in the afternoon time, um, we there had been a bad storm, and some of the buildings, some of the, the buildings that had put up in the camp were blown down, so we got the opportunity to go into the camp and try and fix some of the buildings. The one thing we'd been told from the outset, whenever you go, go into the, the, there are two warehouses in Cali, the bigger of the two warehouses is the home to about three or four grassroots charities. So whenever you go in there, they tell you, whatever you do, or they told you at that stage, whatever you do, if you're in the camp, make sure you're out of it before dark. Whatever happens, get out of the camp before dark. So with that in mind, uh, they'd come into Cali Build and said, look, some of these buildings are falling apart. It was four o'clock in the afternoon, afternoon, just starting to drop down to dark in the autumn time. And uh, we set off in a van to go into the camp. Um, it became very clear very quickly why they want you to get out of the camp before dark, because once it gets dark, make no mistake about it, whatever number of people there are in Cali or Dunkirk, you can be sure that at least 80% of them are trying to get to the UK. And the time they get to the train get to the UK is once it gets dark. So, you know, once once it drops down to dark in the camp, the camp takes on, or the camp did take on a whole different life, a whole different while while in the middle of the day you could have it could have been a, a, a campsite nearly anywhere if you didn't look too closely at it. Once it came to evening it was a completely different scenario. Um yeah, so we helped with these shelters. Um Back the second day, we were back in again. The, um, basically, there, there were two ways that they put in shelters. Some shelters they brought in and just put up for people. Some shelters they gave the materials to the guys in the camp because the guys in the camp are all pretty much all intelligent, uh, handy guys, same as ourselves. You know, so a lot of cases they just give them the materials and let them at it. Um, there was one guy who was 90% uh, blind, and his friends were trying to build a shelter for him. hadn't gone very well. So we took that on on the second day and finished it for him. Um, you know, completely snapped my mind. You're building this shelter for this guy. His friend's there trying to give you a hand, do whatever he can. And he said, look, would you like a cup of tea? 
you know, if I'm working in somebody's house, somebody's house and they say, well, do you want a cup of tea? I'll say, I did, on throw the kettle on. Wasn't really sure of the implications, like, you know. This guy says, do you want a cup of tea? So he, lit, he started, he lit a fire, first of all. Then he spent about three quarters of an hour trying to get the kettle to boil. While the kettle was boiled, he went away for about 20 minutes and came back with English tea bags. Where he had found English tea bags, I have no idea. And that's how we got our cup of tea, you know. So it takes on a cup of tea, takes on a whole new meaning. Uh, so we came back after the first trip. I remember standing in Liverpool docks and ringing uh, Paula and sort of telling her something about it. And knew at that stage that there was no way we were coming back and that was the end of it. We had to go again. So we had a fundraising concert um, after Christmas time to try and raise a bit of money and started a life group for it. Uh, myself and Brian had a life group and everybody in the life group basically went back out and 15 of us went out in February. Yeah, that's the jungle. If you go to Dunkirk Old Camp, Ian, if you can. So whenever we went back out again, um, at the first time we were out, we weren't even aware that there was a camp in Dunkirk. We went back out the second time, became aware there was a camp in Dunkirk and went over there. Took the, I took everybody over basically in the camper or the camper and the car, car, caravel. Um, and the rest of the guys went into the camp and me being the kind of prejudiced person that I am, wouldn't leave the camper on its own because these boys are going to break into it. They're going to burn it, right? So I sat outside guarding the camper and the rest of the guys went into the camp to do a bit of work. Now, Dunkirk Old Camp at that stage, you'll, well, you'll get an idea from the pictures. If you had work boots on, they were no use to you. The muck was over the top of them. Um, the guys in the tent, they were all, li all living in tents, completely all living in tents or under tarpaulins or whatever. They were pulling pallets into the bottom of tents to try and keep the bed clothes up out of the muck. They kept their food in like rover tins or plastic boxes because if you left, the if you didn't have the food and something like that, they got their rats Um They probably had, there were 50, about 1,500 people in that camp at that stage. They probably had four toilets and one tap for 1,500 people. Um, so the guys went, they went into Dunkirk camp and they were given out aid and that and I was outside with the camper and thought to myself I'll do a wee bit of housework and tidy this camper up a bit. Well that lasted for like 20 minutes. Um, and then a few boys, the boys were sort of dandering backwards and forwards outside and I thought here I'm going to have a cup of coffee and I'm going to see if some of these boys want a cup of coffee. So I threw the door open, made a cup of, co cup of coffee, a couple of boys came in and then they just started to come and dribs and drabs, and they came in, got a cup of coffee and a biscuit. Remember one lady came in with a youngster that was probably about six months old, um, and she was so interested in being able to wash her baby's bottle in clean water. Um, washed the baby's bottle, put the baby down for a sleep for a while. Never really dawned on me at the time, but you know, she, she stayed for quite a while, and was coming near the end of the day, at the end of the day, she asked if she could stay on longer, and I said, look, sorry, no, we're going. And she said, that's fine, no problem. She lifted the youngster and headed out. And it was only afterwards it caught on to me, you know, reali I realized that was the, f the only place that she had somewhere level, warm, dry, that she could put that youngster down for sleep. Because it wasn't happening in the camp, you know. Lived to regret that one for a long time. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so 15 of us went. Um, when we, we went out to build shelters, 
basically weren't allowed to build shelters because the French had decided there was going to be no more building in Calais camp. Ended up giving out aid, mostly in Dunkirk for the week, and making uh, teas and coffee. Probably did about five, six hundred teas and coffees that week outside Dunkirk camp, and then came back. Um, I'll throw you over to this good man at that stage. Okay, thanks, Nigel. Um, I suppose maybe it's interesting to, to consider who a refugee actually is. Um, from my background and my family circle, um, a lot of the folk that uh, I'm friendly with and our relatives would be saying, you know, as they come across the Mediterranean, it'd be a good idea if they all drowned. And that's the background that I've come from um, because they're all terrorists and they're all Muslim and they want to come and destroy the West. So for me going out, it was quite an interesting thing within our own family circle to go and do that. Um, so we just come back from the Dunkirk camp, and as Nigel has said, the, the, the muck and the condition in there was unreal. And you had all these tents, and you had, I noticed at the front of nearly every tent, two holes at, at each side of the door where rats came and ate their food at night. And these are people who have fled from persecution. Even just uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were out over Christmas time and New Year, there were those who had turned from uh, being Muslim to Christian in Iran. And, you know, you first of all, you lose your, your job. You no longer can have a house. You no longer can have uh, a driver's license. And then your house is attacked. And then if you don't go, you're shot or hung is the, pre is the preference at the minute. So those are the sort of people that we're meeting, people who are educated, people who have jobs, just like you and us, you, know, you and me. Um, so I came back from the, the jungle that time, or from Dun Dunkirk camp. I got into bed that night, and I thought of all the people that I had met and the conditions that they were living in, and I was immediately challenged by God, well, what can you do, Brian? And I thought, well, I don't know. Um, I thought about it for a week. Uh, I work in Moy Park, and I went to my boss and I said, look, um, I need time off work. Um, he says, I, I see you haven't settled since you came back from France. I said, no, that's right. So they gave me two months sabbatical from work. Um, so you had to consider, can I afford to do this? Can I afford to do about two months' wages? My wife as well. And I thought, well, actually I can because uh, these folk that I'm dealing with have nothing. They've left uh, home uh, with whatever they have. If you can imagine if you were tonight told that you need to be out of your house or you'd be shot in the morning, you'd go to the hole in the wall, you'd pull out as much cash as possible, you'd get a dinghy at San and you'd head, uh, or, or at Lauren, you'd head to San with whatever you could get. Well, these people have done that. That's, they've come with a, with a backpack and that's all they have. So a decision was made, let's go. So we said we could do two months. April and May of uh, 2016. 2016. Um, so that was a big decision for us. We had, uh, we had twins had arrived and that sort of thing, and it was in the family. So we decided we'd go anyway. So a new Land Rover and a caravan, we hooked her up, filled her with aid, and headed for Rossler. Um, and we spent two months mostly in Dunkirk camp, giving out tea and coffee. Um, probably the two months of our lives when we felt most alive. Um, meeting people, people coming in, it was lovely weather. We're able to, um, I don't know if there's any pictures or not of the, 
the setup at Dunkirk, not quite Land Rover might be one if you can get it in. And we, we sat out and had a row of chairs around and people came and sat, that might, mightn't seem like a big thing, but if you're living in a, a jungle or a forest, um, there's nowhere to sit. You just lie on the ground or you walk about all day. And so it was just nice for people to come sit. And as I did that, we, we, we learned about their backgrounds, why they've come, what their dreams are for the future. And so many of them uh, have had to leave because of persecution. So we meet people from uh, Afghanistan who are running from the Taliban, meeting people from Afghanistan who have fought along with the, uh, with the troops there against Taliban. And when the Western troops pull out, they're targeted and they have to go. Uh, guys from Tehran who've been through Tehran University, met a lot of civil engineers, and we had brought out with us um, just on, on ordinary A4 some of the John's Gospel in Farsi. And I remember Diane giving a few pages of that to a guy from, uh, from Iraq or from Iran, and it was as if he'd given him a million pounds, and he just treasured that, those few words of John's Gospel because they'd found Christ in the middle of all their, their trouble. Um, I suppose the essence of the gospel is go. The Great Commission is to go. And uh, we're all recipients of, of God's Son who, who came and left the comfort of, 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 of glory. Uh, Pete, Pete Gregg writes, has a book on prayer called Dirty Glory. It's a great book. And it is a dirty glory to come from, from heaven and come to earth and become human. It is a dirty thing for God to have done. And yet he did it for you and he did it for me. And so for me, the challenge was to leave my comfort and my home and my family uh, and, and jump into a Land Rover and, and head there. Um, I'll never forget it. Um, we, met, uh, we met quite a few people there who uh, were in great trouble. We met one guy who had found some scripture, a guy from Iraq, and we just happened to bump into him in the camp in Dunkirk, and we got chatting, and he says, I have found this book about this guy called Jesus. And he said, I'm not one to miss a meal, but I haven't eaten because I just want to read more about this guy, Jesus. Will you baptize me? And there was a lake at Dunkirk, but at sheer size, and I thought, if we baptize this guy, we're all going to drown. <laughs> and we'd arranged to baptize him the next morning, but he got to uh, Belgium that night. And it's interesting to know that it really, I suppose you say 80% of the people who are there are trying to jump a lorry to get to to the UK. The UK has been sold as this great dream. And many of them, because their second language at school has been English, and they have relatives in there in the UK, that's why they want to go there. And it's a real handling around the port of Calais. But all I would say was, if I was in their position and I had fled their country, I'd be jumping the lorry too to get to the UK. Thank you. Okay, so I'll make a wee bit of sense for some of the photographs that have been going in the background maybe before we go any further. This is the, the bigger of the two warehouses in Cali um, where donations are sorted. There probably are about four charities working out of there, all grassroots charities. Um, what what um, struck me at the start was why are the Red Cross not here? Why are the UNHCR not here? I mean, why are the big charities not here doing the bit? Why, you know, why, why am I driving from Portadown or Dungannon with a camper and you know, all these charities and they're doing nothing? 
Apparently there's a, there's a rule which says unless it is described as a refugee camp by the local government, well then the big charities won't get involved. So the only people who are were supporting this, um, and this will bring me on to something else, the only people who are supporting this are basically volunteers, most of them uh, coming out of England. And if you'd ask me, ask me what the, it's, it's a wee bit better now, a wee bit better organised, but if you'd ask me at the start what the, the charity warehouse was like, um, I would have said it was like Glastonbury gone wrong. All these 18 year olds, um, GAP students, people who had finished a degree and they weren't working and with their pink hair and grass skirts and all the rest of it. Um, when the first day we arrived at the warehouse in Dunkirk, um, there was a guy standing at the gate and I jumped out of the camper. I said, look, I've donations for you. He said, that's dead on. He said, they don't really get, this was about eight o'clock in the morning. He says, they don't really get going until about nine if you can wait for a few minutes. And I said, yeah, no problem. He said, have you a cooker in that thing? And I said, aye, why? He said, do you mind if I come in and light me roll up? So I opened the side door and let him in anyway, and this guy was standing with a hoodie on him, and he had a pair of work boots with no laces in them, and I thought to myself, you're stoned. He just had that look about him, you know. And again, my prejudice, I thought, you know, this is going to be tidy. Um, so we went, we did our day's work in Cali build, we went out to the camp that night, we worked in the camp that night, uh, we didn't probably get back to the warehouse till later, nine o'clock at night and we were leaving off the tools. And the same guy with the hoodie and no laces in the boots was still on the gate, nine o'clock that night. That was, that was good enough for me. So if you go to the warehouse and you talk, you know, we ask you where you're from, um, oh, we're from Dungannon, okay, well, well, and how do you know each other? Oh, we all go to the same church, <laughs> the wall's down. Conversation over. So, I mean, I'm, I'm only a Christian for a couple of years. I'm sure there are guys out here who are, have had a much longer Christian journey than me, um, and you can probably help me with this one. I struggle a wee bit with this one, and, uh, you know, um, we'll get on to it later on. Um, yeah, sorry. First of all, back to the photographs. This that we're seeing now is Dunkirk, what I would call Dunkirk New Camp, which was burned down last spring. Um, you can see they're in wooden shelters, which was a hell of an improvement. It was a five-star improvement over the old Dunkirk camp where you, you couldn't travel, move about in anything other than wellies. Um, the camp lasted for, the, the mayor in Dunkirk said that basically said that nobody was going to freeze from death as long as he was mayor, which was grand. Um, so they built, he gave them this land, they built them, built them this new camp, um, moved into the camp, but unfortunately they didn't police it or control it at all. So basically, the, as, the, as the guys over there call it, the agents, uh, the smugglers moved in, took control of the camp, and as a result, the camp was burned down. Uh, I've seen pictures, uh, whenever we went out, we took, the second time we went out, when we went out, we took all the family out. Uh, we have four kids, the oldest is 22, the youngest is now 11. You know, so it gives you an impression of the kind of people that are out there. I wasn't, go back, I wasn't going to go back out again and take all the family if I thought there was absolutely any risk whatsoever. The guys you meet out there, they just are so, so warm, intelligent, friendly, and just can't do enough for you. They would absolutely give you the shirt off their back when they only have the one shirt, and that's it. Simple as that. As you can see, some of them are quite gifted artists and all the rest of it. Um, so anyway, where are we now? 
Uh, we were out at Christmas time. Dun that Dunkirk camp is now gone. The jungle in Cali, as, as you would know, is gone. There aren't the same numbers of refugees in northern France at the minute. They're probably, at a guess, there's probably about 1,500 floating about, I would have thought, of that. I would say 70, 60, 70 percent are Muslim, um, and the other the remaining are Christian. Um, the, Christ, the African people, um, Ethiopian, Sudanese, whatever, they tend to be Christian, and the Iraqis or Syrians, whatever, tend to be, tend to be Muslim. Um, yeah, we were out at Christmas, um, took out some aid, and basically every other time we've, we've been out, we've sort of went to the warehouse, and they've said, right, okay, we need people to do this, and we need people to do this, and we need people to do this, and you, you just get a job. This time when we went out, we just basically went, did our own thing, took the camper, and just made tea and coffee and chatted to people, and we brought out new boots, gave them new boots, whatever. And there's something lovely about, you know, I have this problem with the charities out there, and don't get me wrong, they do brilliant work, but they decide that Monday is shoe distribution day. So they fill the van full of shoes, they go out to the camp, they open the back doors of the van, they get about six people to stand either side of the back doors of the van so that nobody can swamp them, and if somebody comes along, they say, shoes, 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 and that's the way it goes. Now... Don't get me wrong, it's great that somebody gets a pair of, sh pair of shoes, but the guys there, you know, can you imagine, can you imagine leaving home today? Okay, so you get onto this boat, you travel to Scotland, you travel down through Scotland, imagine it's the other way around, you're stuck at Dover, you haven't had a shower for months, you haven't been inside to sit in a chair for months, you're sitting on the ground, so a lot of these guys, it just means so much to them just to get in, sit in the camper, have a cup of coffee, have a chat, have a bit of Madeira cake. That's a whole different story, Madeira cake. Um, just have a chat for 15, 20 minutes, stick their phone in, get it charged. You know, um, so it's great just to be able to do that, just to be able to show them a bit of humanity. And that's what we spent last the, the, at, at Christmas doing. And that's probably what we'll, we, we'll do. We're going back out again St. Patrick's weekend. And that's what we'll do at St. Patrick's weekend. That's the intention. Um, two minutes. I'm getting the countdown. I think, no, I think we've, we've covered a lot of it. There's a whole lot. You could talk for hours and hours and hours, but we've, we've covered a lot of it. Um, whenever we were out the last time, I'll tell you three stories very quickly. Whenever we were out the last time, after we left the camp, I, was, I don't sleep that well at the best of times. Um, I was lying in the camper at, in the early hours of the morning, waiting, we were getting up the next morning to go on the, the Euro Tunnel to come back to the UK. Um, and there are three stories. One was a young guy, three people I thought of that I'd met while we were out at Christmas time. One was a young guy, he was probably about 17. Um, he told me that the police in France weren't too bad because he'd been arrested in Romania and kept for two months and they, they took him out and beat him every day in Romania because he wouldn't declare citizenship in Romania. So they told him he had to either declare citizenship in Romania or else go back to where he came from. He wouldn't do it, so eventually they said they were going to deport him and then they realised they couldn't because he was under 18. So anyway, he ended up in Cali. Um, that's the first story. Second story was a woman who came in with her youngster, wee baby, or child, maybe about, what, three years? Three years of age, mother and father and the youngster. Um, they wanted to live in the, in the woods in Cali because it was safer than going to a gym 
that the authorities had provided where about 200 families were safer for the mother, work the rest out. Um, and it was just great just to give that wee youngster a teddy bear and, and just see the mother's face because somebody had shown them a bit of humanity. That's the second one. The third one was a gay, sorry, I'm going as quick as I can. Third one was a gay called Ema. Ema. Very funny story, but there's a sad side to the story. Funny story was this guy came into the camper and he's full of life, you know, and full of personality. And he said about, I said, you going to the UK? He said, yeah, 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 every night, top of the lorry, bottom of the lorry. I go to the UK every night. Every night, policeman come with dog. Off the lorry, down off the lorry, out from under the lorry. Every night, every night, he said, policeman say, good dog, good dog. I said, bad dog, bad dog. I hate that dog. I love animals, but I hate that dog. <laughs> so turned out, Emma's story was... Um, he had been in the UK, his wife was in, in the UK with their son who was about four. Um, whatever happened, he was deported. He ended up back in Greece, which was where he was fingerprinted, and he had been 20 months trying to get from Greece back to his family, and he's sitting in Dunkirk at the minute. So those, with those three stories in mind, I was laying in the camper, and I tweaked a song that you'll all know very well and tried to put the three stories into it, and I'll finish with that. Thank you very much for your time.